Missio Church. My name's Cody Labarth. I'm one of the elders here at Missio. It's a joy to be able to gather together uh, again on a Sunday. Uh, Before we jump into Psalm 32 today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. Lord, we pray that at this time, as we set our minds on your word, that, um, Lord, your word will accomplish its purpose. Lord, that we will hear your voice, that your word will reveal to us Jesus and our need for the gospel. And so just, um, Lord, by your spirit, remove distraction. Help us to hear from you, Lord, and to obey you. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, as I said, we'll be in Psalm 32 today as we continue our journey through the Psalms. Um, If you'd like to read along with me, I'll lead us uh, as we read that psalm. Psalm 32, a mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Well, I think most of us in this room uh, would say and have experienced that being forgiven is powerful. That, you know, those of us uh, who know what that is like uh, understand the emotion that comes along with the experience of receiving what you don't deserve. It's humbling and, and it causes your emotions to swell. And that is uh, just such the occasion that in which David writes this psalm. He, he writes this psalm to express thanksgiving for the Lord's forgiveness of his sin. Now, we don't know the, the exact occurrence or the exact instance of sin that David uh, is confessing in this psalm and, and rejoicing in the Lord's forgiveness in, but, but we know from the scriptures that David writes this from personal experience. We know that he was a man who was not perfect, but he was a man who, who understood what it meant to be shown mercy. And as such, as we read this psalm today, David uh, becomes a model for us of of humbly confessing sin and 
and rejoicing with thanksgiving in the salvation that the Lord has given to his people. So as we read this psalm today, this psalm should provoke all of us to acknowledge our sin, to confess our sin to the Lord, and ultimately to find our hope in Jesus as the only one who delivers us from our sin. So uh, for those of us who have been, uh, been here from the beginning of, of our journey through the Psalms, we'll realize this Psalm starts in a familiar way. The Psalm begins, blessed is. And so from Psalm 1 uh, onwards, the Psalter has been just consistently proclaiming the blessedness, the happiness of, of God's people. And in Psalm 32, David is proclaiming the blessedness of the man against whom the Lord does not count his sin. So verses 1 and 2, uh, we'll see that we see three words that are describing the same thing. Transgression, sin, iniquity. And we'll, we'll recognize that this language, it flows directly out of Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And in those verses, the Lord declares himself this way. He says that he is a God who is merciful and gracious, a God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So as we read this today, this, this threefold description of man's sinfulness, it, it heightens the sense. It makes us more aware, not only of David's sin, but it should make us more aware of our sin. That uh, man is sinful in, in every way. We'll also recognize in these first uh, two verses that just as there are three words that describe David's sinfulness our sinfulness, we, we also see three, three ways that the Lord has worked in relation to, to sin. We realize that transgression is forgiven. Sin is covered. Iniquity is not counted against the blessed one. And so just as Exodus 34 proclaims that this reality stems from God's character as one who is ready to forgive, ready to show mercy to his people whenever they acknowledge uh, their sin. We see this uh, here in verses 1 and 2. And this is one thing we'll notice as we uh, come to the end of verse 2. We see this statement, blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit. So a deceitful person uh, in this instance is one who, who is not being honest about their own sinfulness. So they either think that they can deceive God by hiding their sin, as if that were possible, or what's more likely is that they are deceiving themselves by refusing to acknowledge their own sinfulness, their own proclivity to evil and to rebellion against God. As I read these verses, uh, this kind of came to mind. So one of uh, mine and my wife's guilty pleasures in life is, is to watch The Voice. So if you're not familiar with The Voice, it's uh, one of those like reality uh, show singing competitions. And so, I mean, we're all in. Like, we watch it every week. We vote on the app. 
we laugh at all of Blake Shelton's jokes like, we're fans. I can't explain it. I don't know why. But uh, so that's us. But we've all seen these singing competitions in which someone goes on national television thinking that they're a great singer, right? And then they start to sing and it's just obvious to everyone in the audience, everyone sitting in their homes watching that, like this person is a terrible singer. They're so obviously deceived about themselves and can only imagine how embarrassing it is, but maybe they're so unaware that it's not even embarrassing for them. It makes you wonder, is there... Is there anyone in their life who's willing to tell them the truth? Who's just willing to say, like, you know what? You're not that great of a singer. (laughs) But anyway, uh, I think in some ways that those of us who refuse to acknowledge our sin are like that. We have deceived ourselves and our sinfulness before a perfectly holy God who is perfect in every way should be obvious. There's no denying it. The scriptures make clear to us that there is none who is righteous, not even one. But so many in this world, so many of us at times, if we're honest, we refuse to acknowledge this. In our pride, we can see ourselves as righteous. We can be blind to our own sinfulness. We have a a proclivity to think of ourselves as just basically good people and to think and live as if we are owed favor in this life, as if God owes us his favor and treating us well. But Psalm 32 really says the exact opposite. It says that the blessed one, the one who receives God's favor, is the one who who does not cover up their sin, who does not deceive themselves or in pride refuse to acknowledge it. But the blessed one is the one who confesses their sin and asks for mercy. And in these next verses, in verses 3 and 4, Davis is going to start to show us what this, what this process of, of coming to the Lord and confessing sin looks like, what it looks like for the godly to do this. So in verses 3 and 4, David says that when he was silent about his sin, that he experienced agony. He says that his bones wasted away, that he groaned all day long. That day and night the Lord's hand was heavy upon him, that his strength was dried up. So it seems that because of David's sin, the Lord had brought upon him physical sickness and pain which was meant to bring him to a place of repentance. It could be that the conviction that David felt over his sin was causing a a physical response in his body, that there was agony, that there was a loss of strength and vitality. So either way, David was right to understand that his silence concerning his sin was destructive to his life. And so we see that when the godly refuse to acknowledge their sin, that it weighs heavily upon them. And I think many of us here in this room have had similar experiences whenever uh, we've refused to, to acknowledge our sin. We know what it is like to become sick or to feel, feel physically ill because of the conviction that we feel over our sin. 
And if we're wise, like David, we, we listen to the Lord when this happens. We recognize that, that this comes from the Lord. So David's reference to the Lord's hand being heavy upon him tells us that he took these things as coming from the Lord. That he understood them as the discipline of the Lord. And we know this, and what we see here is that discipline is, is so often unpleasant. But discipline achieves a purpose if it's properly received. So as we, we read these verses, we recognize that what David was experiencing in this agony that he felt, that it really, it was a mercy from the Lord. A mercy in that this was the Lord's discipline to David to bring him to the point of confession and repentance. The scripture tells us this, that the Lord disciplines him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So those of us who, who have kids know that, that, that properly enforced discipline is not, it's not vindictive in nature. That properly enforced discipline is, is for the good of the child. And this is the kind of discipline that David is experiencing. It's a discipline that is leading to, ultimately, forgiveness. And that's what David says, uh, describes in verse 5. He's, he says, after experiencing the Lord's discipline, he says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. The word says that he confessed his, his transgressions, plural, to the Lord. And what is the Lord's response? He forgave the iniquity of his sin. In some ways it just it seems unbelievably simple. Acknowledgement and confession lead to forgiveness. It makes makes us ask, how can the Lord forgive so quickly? How can he be so ready to overlook evil and rebellion against him? Again, I'll call our minds to what the Lord reveals about himself in Exodus 34, that he is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Our Father has revealed himself as a God who is ready to offer mercy, whose love and faithfulness know no end. So David confesses his sin. And he has confidence that he has been forgiven because of who God has revealed himself to be. David was not confident that he deserved forgiveness, but simply that God forgave him because of who he is, a merciful God. So as we consider this today, we, we can see how David, he knew the forgiveness of the Lord. He was confident in the forgiveness of the Lord. But I think we can rejoice today because we have seen the Lord's mercy revealed in an even more complete manner than David knew in his life. And that's because the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the reason that we can be confident in the Lord's mercy towards us. The reason that we can read this psalm and make this psalm our own today. Because Jesus died on the cross, bearing the sins of his people, and rose again. He's made it so that all who trust in him, place their faith in him, might receive the righteousness that, 
that he had, that he offers, he will give it to us that we might bear his righteousness. So we can read this today and, and we rejoice because Jesus, in Jesus, the merciful, forgiving character of God that he declared in Exodus 34 is so fully displayed. And all that is required to receive mercy is just as in this Psalms that we acknowledge our sin, confess our sin, and place our hope in, in Christ alone for forgiveness. So we recognize that David placed his trust in the promises of the Father and in who the Father declared himself to be. And in that way, he was looking ahead to Jesus, to the mercy that would be found in him. And today, we can look now upon Jesus, his life and death and resurrection being fully declared to us, and we find mercy. And this is exactly what, what David, as he as he kind of switches uh, gears here in the psalm a bit, he, he now beckons the people of God to do exactly that. Where in verses 1 to 5, it's, it's all about his personal experience of conviction of sin and confession of sin to the Lord. Now David's going to instruct the people of God. And so we would do well to listen. In verses 6 and 7, he says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. So David is calling out to the people of God. He's calling out to us today to confess, to repent while there is still time. To pray to God for mercy while he may be found. And if we're paying attention, we, we see how David is putting before us the urgency of the matter. That God is ready to forgive. But that will not always be the case. That there will come a time when he, he will not be found by those who are in need of mercy. David's pleading with us today not to play around with sin, not to delay in repenting, not to think that it's just not that big of a deal, not to, to justify our sin, to rationalize that it's not really hurting anyone. Believer, if you today are, are living with sin that you know about and you are hiding it, you're deceiving yourself. And David's words would plead with you to return to Jesus, who is your only hope of mercy. And I would plead with you today that if you've, if you've never come to realize your sinfulness, if you've never come to God and ask for the mercy that is found in Christ alone, that you would do so today. That do not delay. You know, I can think back of several instances in my life in which I've talked with someone about placing their faith in Jesus and their response has been something to the effect of, you know, not right now, but, but one day I'm going to have to, I'm going to sort those things out. But that is usually not the way this works out. When we deny our need for forgiveness, when we refuse to listen to the word of the Lord and the conviction of, of the Spirit, that over time, we just 
our sin just becomes normal to us. We grow to just kind of think about our sinfulness as just being part of who we are. And we become even more entrenched and firm in our rebellion against our Creator. We become numb to sin. And so to all people, David is saying, go to the Lord while he may still be found because in the future, you may not see your need for mercy. And in the day of judgment, it will be too late. So that is what David is talking about when he says, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. So, so, so throughout the scriptures, uh, the judgment of the Lord is presented uh, several times as a flood. And we know that floods reap destruction. We think of the great flood in Genesis 6. David is saying that, that on the day of judgment, on the day when the flood comes, that it will be too late. And the reality is that none of us know how much time we have left on this earth. The scripture tells us that it's appointed for man to die once and after that to face judgment. The scripture also tells us that Jesus is going to return at an hour that no one knows. It will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. And whenever he comes back, he brings judgment. And which of those days are going to come first? No one knows. But what David is saying is that in the day of judgment, it's going to be too late to find the mercy that is found only in Christ. But for those of us who, who have acknowledged our sin, confessed our need for mercy and forgiveness, the words of verse 7 are true. David says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So in the day of judgment, Christ Jesus is a hiding place, a place of safety from the flood. He preserves his people. The scripture says he lets no trouble come their way. It says here that he surrounds them with shouts of deliverance. This, this Hebrew word uh, for shout uh, means song, so, so some trans, translations might say he sings a song of deliverance over his people. Only for those who have placed their faith in Christ. So in verses 8 and 9, now David is going to, uh, again, to ask the people of God to pay attention to his instruction. Here he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And what David instructs the people of God in is this. He says, don't be like the horse or the mule. These are stubborn animals. These are, these are animals without understanding. So the person who is like the horse or the mule is the person who, who refuses to acknowledge their sin. It's a person, as the scriptures would say, a person who lacks wisdom. They're like an untrained animal, a stubborn mule. They fight against the hand of their master. They want to go their own way, and, and their master has to use force against them to, to kind of bring them back into line. The Psalms and the Proverbs, again and again, they present to us two ways of life. The righteous person 
who receives the word of the Lord and so then finds refuge in him and is blessed. And the the life of the foolish person who goes their own way and finds only grief and judgment. I think as we consider what David says in verse 8, this language he uses, that he will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, it, it brings to mind the promises of God concerning the Holy Spirit. So throughout the, the scriptures, we see that God's people, Israel, they, they were like a stubborn mule. They constantly went their own way. But God promised that he would send his spirit. So through the prophet Ezekiel, he says this, that his spirit would would come into his people, would change his people's hearts, would cause his people to walk in his statutes, to be careful to obey his rules. In John's gospel, Jesus tells us that, that the spirit is coming and that the spirit is a helper, that the spirit convicts concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That the Spirit would guide His people in truth. The promise concerning the Spirit is this, that that the Spirit leads the people of God in a righteous life, a life of obedience to the Lord's commands. So, So we read this today and we realize that we don't have to be like the stubborn mule who constantly receives discipline. But... Through faith in Christ, we, we are filled with this Spirit. We can be led by His Spirit so that we become like this. So the, the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon says in relation to these verses that, that we should be obeying the slightest hints of our Master. Not needing thunderbolts to startle our, our incorrigible sluggishness, but being controlled by whispers. To be as a feather in the wind, wafted readily in the breath of the Holy Spirit. So rather than being like a stubborn mule, what Christ offers us through his spirit is is being like this. Listening to the slightest whispers of, of the Spirit's calls to obedience. So again, I would, I would say to all of us, if we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and the words of David today, that we would not ignore them, that we would listen to the Spirit's conviction, that we would again come to Jesus as our only place of refuge. And again, as this psalm comes to a close, verses 10 and 11, we're, we're going to have these two paths of life put before us once again. For the wicked who deceive themselves about their sin. The wicked who do not acknowledge their sin, there will be many sorrows. Discipline, judgment, ultimately, an eternity of sorrow in judgment for their sin. But for the one who trusts in Jesus as the only covering for their sin, The steadfast love of the Lord will surround them now and for eternity. So as we read these these final verses, we, with David, we we say we, the people of God who who have come to Jesus to cover our sin, that we can be glad in the Lord. 
that we can rejoice, we can shout for joy just as this psalm beckons us. It's such good news that the Lord forgives us and he restores us to righteousness. And we know that there is nothing in this world that can compare to the eternal joy of of being forgiven for our sin, being restored to righteous relationship with our Father. So as we read this psalm, our prayer, my prayer would be that that this would be the response of all of us, that we would rejoice and be glad, that we would taste of the Lord's mercy. As we read this psalm, may, may it provoke us that we would not try and hide, deceive, cover up our sin, but that we would confess our sin, our need for mercy, first of all, to the Lord. But as well, the scripture encourages us to confess our sin to one another. And I think we have so many avenues in which we can do that, just in the biblical community that we enjoy, whether that's in our missional communities or in our formation groups or simply just grabbing coffee with, with someone who's a member of this body or just having one another uh, over in our homes. Just that wherever and to whomever it needs to happen, that we would be a people who confess our need for mercy and that we would taste of the mercy of the Lord. So as we come uh, to a close in looking at these verses, I want us to uh, think about what uh, the Apostle John says in 1 John 1. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let us confess our sins and like David, let us find hope, confident hope that the Lord shows mercy and forgiveness to his people. And may we be filled with the joy of salvation today and in every day to come. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Again, we ask that your spirit would would poke us and prod us and reveal our need for Jesus. That each of us would see our, our sinfulness, but see the even greater covering that is offered to us in your son. May we put our hope in him, our trust in him, find our life in him. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.